think another amen would be good. I just, uh, on behalf of the church, I just appreciate uh, Bree, Weston, Julia, Casey, Olivia, and Manny. Uh, just a beautiful job, not only praising the Lord yourself, but inviting us to join you in that. I just, uh, I'm very grateful, and it just does my heart good to see young people praising and leading and uh, appreciate Pastor Josh and, uh, and Greg coming alongside of them and uh, just supporting them in that endeavor. I want to get right in today, so uh, let me begin this way. So Jesus had spent a full day sharing parables <clears throat> with a great multitude on the west bank of the Sea of Galilee. The day was long and Jesus needed a retreat for just a time of refreshment. And at Jesus' request, he and the disciples set sail for the east bank of the Sea of Galilee. A terrible storm kicked up on the sea that night. The disciples feared for their life. They fought to survive, but Jesus was secure. And as they woke him up, he stood up and he calmed the storm with his spoken word, hush be still, and the seas became quiet. The disciples saw a dramatic, I mean a dramatic demonstration of the power and the authority of Jesus that night on that sea. The story of the calming of the storm closes with the disciples asking the question among each other, the question being, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. On they sailed until early in the morning. They arrived on the southeast bank of the Sea of Galilee. The question still going over in their hearts and minds, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? As they arrived there on the shores, just on the edge of the region of the Gerasenes, they would get a clear answer to their question, but it would come from a very unlikely source. And I want to invite you to pray with me, if you will. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we just turn our hearts and minds over to you. Uh, we trust in your word. We believe that your word speaks to us. And as we just consider it for a moment, help us to be open to hearing the message you have for us. Uh, Lord, give us the ability to be spiritually attentive for just a little while here and to focus in and, and just have our hearts wide open to be blessed by you. Lord, send us your Holy Spirit in fullness. And we just uh, surrender these times to you. In your name we pray. Amen. The story that we find at the beginning of Mark chapter 5 is often labeled in your Bible the Gerasene demoniac. This same event is found in both Matthew and Luke and Mark. Matthew's account actually recalls the story with two men possessed by demons. But here in Mark, the focus of the story is only on one of those men. And we don't know the name of this man who was possessed by Satan's agents. And sometimes when we have a biblical figure and there's no name, we find the humanity of that 
individual of the story kind of uh, diminished. And therefore, solely for the purpose of, of humanizing this biblical figure, I've just decided for today, for our purposes of thinking about this Bible story, to give this individual that is key to the story a name. Not trying to add to the Bible, but since there is no name, I just want to, to kind of quote, give him a face, if you will, because indeed he is and he was a, a precious soul to the heart of God. And so the story as it goes, just thinking about the big picture, there's an obscure little Hebrew word from the Old Testament that means wild goat, Akko. And so for today, I'm going to refer to this man as Akko. The story begins this way in Mark 5 verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he, Jesus, got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met Jesus. And he had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles like broken into pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. The territory... On the west side of the Sea of Galilee was very different than the east side. The south kind of east shores of the Sea of Galilee had edged up to an area called Decapolis. Deca meaning ten and polis meaning city. A, an area of ten cities. Decapolis. Ten cities that had previously in history had kind of aligned themselves together to, to form kind of strong alliances against those that would do them harm. This region of Decapolis that where they came ashore was just kind of that edge of the sea. And then it, and it kind of went out into territories beyond. It was... Um, it was too under Roman control. It was a Greek-speaking culture. It was a very Gentile culture, not a Jewish presence, much at all, if any. And in that Greek culture, they had many pagan practices, very different than the other side of the sea that was entrenched in Jewish culture and the God of Israel and different religious practices altogether. Where they came ashore, the terrain still to this day, it's, it's rugged. There are limestone cliffs with natural caves in the limestone. And then some carved caves in the limestone. And it had become a place of burial. It was a place of death. It was a place where tombs resided. The boat carrying Jesus and his disciples arrived early, early in the morning. Maybe still in the dark part of the morning there on that side of the sea. The boat had slipped into the shallows of the shore. They, they stepped out of the boat into the shallow water after that remarkable, amazing, remarkable night of both fearing the deadly storm and then marveling at, at Jesus' authority to command the wind and the waves. And, and they step out of the water onto the, the shore there. And, and as Jesus waded up, a man possessed by demons, I'll say plural, it will become clear in a moment, but a man possessed by demons saw them saw him and they directly approach 
This man had been living in the places of death. Those tombs had provided a place of shelter. And it become where he resided for some time, we don't know. The demons that had taken control of, as we're calling him today, Akko's body, gave him apparently unnatural, superhuman type strength. It says no one could restrain him, and they wanted to, for he was violent. They had tried repeatedly over time, maybe earlier on when he was not quite in the extreme condition that we find him at this moment in Mark 5, but they had tried repeatedly to, to bind Akko with chains, chains on his hands, shackles on his feet. But the Bible says that Akko's demonic tormentors held the power to break those shackles into pieces. Akko was strong. Broken chains dangled maybe from his feet or his hands. In another account, I think it's in Matthew or maybe it's Luke's, but we're told he wore no clothing. And his body, as it says in this verse, was, was bloody from self-inflicted wounds. It's an awful situation. A life nearly stamped out and hidden. From this demonic pet. His whole appearance, his, his behavior really seemed more animal, beastly like than human. And as Akko lived in the tombs, he would cry out with otherworldly, non human screams. And it terrified the people. It echoed with the water and the limestone, it would just amplify. And it was absolutely terrifying. And the people were afraid. And the reports went through the, the region of Decapolis that this man, demon-possessed, wild as a wild goat living in these caves, do not pass by him, for he will attack you. And he is supernaturally strong and violent. This is a person we're talking about. It wasn't always this way for Akko. He had a home somewhere in the ten cities of Decapolis. Akko must have had parents, maybe a, a father who had taken him fishing in this very area. And now this father's grieving the living loss of his son. His son was gone, but he was still alive. He had a mother who probably remembered holding him as an innocent little infant with all of her hopes and dreams. And, and she just kind of is remembering, cannot understand, what happened to my precious son? Akko might have had brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts and cousins. Maybe he had a, a big brother who watched him somehow go deeper and deeper into the satanic control. Maybe he had a little sister who remembers just playing in the yard with, with Akko and it was just fun and joyful and peaceful. Yeah, Akko, he had a family somewhere. He also probably had friends. At one time, maybe Akko was a good student in the schools of, of his region and had classmates that he would play with. At some point, he probably had instructors or teachers or tutors of some fashion that had recognized that the potential that Akko had had been squandered by this strange influence that just enveloped him. 
Maybe Akko even had a best friend was he when growing up. Maybe, maybe not just a best friend, maybe he had a crush on a young woman that he had hoped to one day go through the journey and, and marry her. Depending on whether all this take place, maybe Akko had a job, he had people he worked with, he had a boss that would shake his head when he'd show up late. We don't really know, but we can just kind of imagine the common experiences of life that this man's story didn't start in the caves, in those burial tombs, as a wild, demonically possessed man. At one point, he was just a baby, he was just a boy, he was just a young man, and at one point, he was just a normal guy, loving people and loved by others. We don't know the backstory about Akko, but we do know that at some point, some point, he opened his mind to satanic influence. And it probably happened slowly and deceptively. But somehow in that journey, eventually, Akko's heart and mind was under the full control of Satan. Extreme. His eyes glared. From long matted hair and the very likeness of humanity was blotted out by the demons that possessed him and, and he looked more like a wild beast than he did a man. And At some point, he was forced from his home, his family, his friends because of the realities of his possession was just too frightening, too scary, too dangerous. And now he lived in the place of death. just want to say this in case it relates to some of you here today. If you have a loved one who's come under the influence of this world, maybe not to this extreme, but, but you just have someone that you love that has come under the influence and the drawing power of this world away from God, keep praying that they have an encounter with Jesus. Because you're about to see what an encounter with Jesus can do. The story continues here in verse 6 as it reads, Seeing Jesus from a distance, so we're fleshing out a little more of what took place, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. <clears throat> For he had been saying to him, Jesus had been saying to him, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus was asking him, what is your name? And he said to Jesus, my name is Legion, for we are many. The demons within Akko noticed this small band of men moving up from the shore's edge. And they charged. They charged. The language is weird because it's plural and yet there's one individual. But they charged to attack as they were accustomed to attacking those that passed by. And the disciples see this terrifying figure demonically screaming. This beastly naked man bleeding wounds. They see him coming for them and they fall back in fear. But Jesus stays calm in the face of this demonic storm, just as he had stayed calm in the sea just hours before. And as the, the demons controlling, who we're calling Akko today, the demons controlling Akko got closer, now they recognized who it is they were approaching. 
Maybe the disciples had ran away, fell back, but they realized Jesus wasn't with them. So they turned back to say, where's Jesus? And they see Jesus standing there in confidence and calmness while this wild man is bowing down before him. Jesus had calmed the storm with just a spoken word. And now his very presence had stopped the demons in their tracks. Demons of Satan, Jesus said, come out of this man. But in this instance, it didn't happen right away. But Jesus, as he came, recognized the situation. says, demons, come out of this man. And as they approached, they realized who was speaking those words. And Akko, face to the ground, he tried. Akko, the man, the person, he tried to, to call for help. But the demons spoke over his voice. But I believe that Jesus could hear the heart's cry of this man, even though his vocals were silenced by evil. Church family, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that Jesus can hear your cry even when you're unable to voice it. Sometimes you're struggling with things that you don't know how to articulate. You just don't even know how to express it, but you know that there is an oppression going on. There's something in your life that is preventing you from Jesus, that there is a battle going on in your very soul, and you don't even know how to speak it. It's okay. Jesus hears the cry even if you can't voice it. But this is what the demon said. What do you want with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? There's their answer. Just hours before, the disciples had been questioning each other. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And the answer to the question came from the united voices of demons possessing this broken man. Who is this man who can command the wind and the waves? He is Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. In Mark chapter 1, a demon responded to Jesus saying, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. How incredible is it that the realms of evil know Jesus? That even demons know of his divinity. That even they even knew his earthly name. They address him saying, Jesus. And they were clear that he was God present on that shore. Just one sentence of caution, my church family. Be very careful entertaining the teachings that lead you away from the divinity of Christ. That is dangerous ground. So be very careful. Jesus then said, hey, you know my name. What's your name? What is your name? And the voice came out saying, my name is is legion, for we are many. Legion is a Roman military term. It means a a full guard of six centuries, 6,000 soldiers. And and maybe that was a literal thing. He's saying, there are 6,000 of us inside of Akko. Or if it wasn't a literal thing, certainly it reveals that Akko's possession was multiples of multiples. It wasn't just a singular entity that had taken control. The demons knew that Jesus was more powerful than they were, and they began to beg Jesus for mercy. And they screamed in that wicked harmony, I beg you by God, do not torment us. 
Boy, how did this man whom we're calling Akko today, how did he come to be such, so bound, so captive in this demonic control? We don't know. Bible doesn't really tell us. But I can share this. I would think most of the time, if all the time, I don't really know, but, but one doesn't go from being normal to being demon-possessed in an instant. It happens over time by opening channels of access for evil. Listen, when you give attention to evil experiences, kind of cracking open a door, when you entertain yourself with things of the occult of evil, cracking open a door. Even when you just kind of dismiss and shrug off the power of Satan, the power of demonic hosts, the power of evil, even when you think, that's no big deal. You just shrug off those realities. You may be cracking open doors that demons want to kick in and take over your life. A little bit take over, take over some, or in this case, in the extreme, completely take over. So church family, be wise, be careful, be discerning in what you expose yourself to, what you allow to enter into your heart and mind. Be wise. Don't crack open doors that don't need to be opened. That being said, remember this. Jesus is the light of the world, and by inviting Him into your heart and mind daily, darkness flees from the light. The demons spoke to Jesus, and they appealed for mercy. Don't torment us. And He began to implore Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored Jesus saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Incredible. The demons knew that Jesus held power and authority to destroy them, and they begged for mercy. In Luke's telling of this very moment, he writes that the demons begged Jesus to not send them to the abyss. The abyss shows up in the book of Revelation. It's the place of confinement to hold for the final destruction of evil. Do not send us there. Don't send us away. Send us into the swine. There was a nearby, a very large herd of swine that represented a significant kind of economic resource for this Gentile land. They would certainly consume these hogs, but it was also a market of selling it to the occupying power of Rome. This was money on the hill. Resource. Send us into the swine. Jesus gave permission for this to happen. What's about to happen was under his authority. Maybe Jesus said, so be it. And with Jesus granting permission, the demons 
then fully obeyed the word of the Lord when he said, come out of this man, having give permission for them to enter the swine. They came out of this man, and then the swine became possessed. They, they went mad. I mean, what could they compute into these realities? And in this madness, they rushed down towards the sea and drowned, perished there in the sea. Why would Jesus grant this permission? It's a good question. And the text doesn't really say, here's why he gave permission. And so we think about that. Jesus, why would you do that? Why not send him to the abyss? And and one explanation goes something like this that I think holds a lot of merit. It goes along with this line of thought. Perhaps Jesus gave permission for that moment to happen in the way that it did. And and them leaving this man and going into the swine. Because Jesus wanted to give tangible evidence to the man and to the people of that area. That the demons had actually left him. And that their purpose had been to destroy him even as they had just destroyed the pigs. Why did Jesus give permission? Maybe because if he just said, be gone, there would have still been wondering, were they really gone? But this was a physical, tangible, literal manifestation of deliverance from evil. I don't know if anyone here today is kind of wrestling with some oppressions in your life. There's a spectrum of that, you know. And, and rarely in, in our context today is it going to look like this. But that doesn't mean there's not entanglements in our lives where the enemy is holding on. And you have the invitation to appeal to God for deliverance. And, and when we appeal to God to be set free from something that oppresses us... We must, yes, walk by faith and not by sight. But this story kind of compels me to wonder, perhaps it's acceptable also to ask God to give you some loving, tangible evidence that He truly has set you free. Because when you've been set free, God wants you to know it. He doesn't want you to walk forward wondering, is, did He do it? God wants you to say, it has happened And so maybe in the context of this story, it's also okay to say, God, set me free. And God, show me something to let me know that I'm free. The demons drove the swine mad and they perished in a literally a panicked, suicidal stampede. Meanwhile, Akko regained his humanity. Bible says their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man, the man who had been demon possessed, sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had the legion and they became frightened at this scene. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine and they began to implore Jesus to leave the region. 
Naturally, the herdsmen, the ones responsible for taking care of this herd of 2,000 swine, they immediately went back to report to, their, to the owners of the swine, to the, to the families of their village, to their families, and, and to basically go back to witness to what had just taken place. And as the story quickly, rapidly circulated, the residents and the leaders came out to investigate. And when they arrived, the Bible says that they saw the, the, the evidence, indisputable evidence of a miracle of mercy had taken place, but it frightened them. They saw this massive herd of swine bobbing in the sea. They saw the man that they knew. They knew him. They were around him. It was their family. It was their brother. It was their friend. It was their classmate. It was a neighbor. They knew this man. They saw this man that they knew was violent and dangerous and terrifyingly strong. And there he sat, sane, whole, restored. But as they tried to take that moment in, Remembering that they came from a culture that was definitely deeply pagan and and superstitious. When they saw the evidence of this kind of power, power that they had never witnessed before, it was just too much for them. Akko, sitting at Jesus' feet, free and renewed. Again, I just want you to know there is nothing that God can't set you free from. I know in our church family here, and and when I go like this, I kind of include myself in that gesture, that there are things that have strongholds on us that maybe it doesn't look like this, this individual that we see in the Scripture, but all the same in a subtle and deceptive way, it has a stronghold on us that is pulling us away from Jesus. And the testimony of this man declares you can be set free from that. How does that happen? Every case kind of unfolds differently in the wisdom of God. But I know this for certainty. Somehow, some way, in the power and the authority of Jesus, you can be delivered from that stronghold, released, and God's love will draw you in. It took a little time for the herdsmen to go and make their report and for the people to come back. And in the meantime, the disciples must have given this man some kind of article of clothing. He was no longer naked. His mind was bright and clear the first time and who knows how long. His eyes were, were gleaming with love and gratitude. He who had been possessed by a legion of demons was now constrained by the love of Jesus Christ. And it was Akko's true voice that they heard praising and talking with Jesus. 
But remarkably, instead of joy for this man's deliverance, they became fearful of the power that was evident that brought about the delivering. They recognized the power of Jesus that they didn't know what to do with. It was overwhelming. It was out of their control. They focused more perhaps on the financial loss of the swine instead of the miraculous gain of this man's soul. And in fear, maybe selfishness, certainly a certain level of ignorance, they asked Jesus to leave the region. They had just witnessed powerful evidence of the goodness of God, mercy, but it was disturbing to them. And therefore, instead of welcoming it in, they wanted to send it away. Does that sound crazy? But think about this. Have you ever rejected God's truth that's been revealed? Have, have you ever rejected God's guidance or have you ever been unwilling to walk in God's way because it would disturb your settled, comfortable life? Has God ever revealed to you in, in some matter of life, has that God ever said, this is my will for you, walk ye in it? But walking in that, receiving his revelation of guidance would unsettle your life. And so, in effect, you say, mm, God, go away on this one. God, I, I know you would like me to give more time to, to my personal relationship with you. More time in the, the kingdom work of the kingdom of God. But, but I like my me time and, and I don't want my routine unsettled. So God, could you go away on that one? God, I, I know that you want me to, to share your love. I know that you want me to, to share my faith in you with, with those who live near me or those who I work with. But, but God, if I do that, that could make my dynamic with them different and awkward, maybe even weird. And, and I don't want that, God. So could you go away on that one? And only because the story kind of hints to the reality that this represented financial loss to them. And maybe they were fearful. We've just wiped out this whole economic resource of these swine. If he comes further into our region, how much other loss is going to happen? It was a financial threat that caused him to send him away. Just because of that element of the story, let me just kind of paint this situation. God, I know that you want me to return a tithe. And as I'm able, maybe give some offerings. But... But it would mean I'd have to let go of things that I like to spend money on for me. So Lord, could you just go away on that one? Or finally, God, I, I like my comfortable religious experience. And though I, I see in your word truths that, that go against what I have always believed, I don't want to disturb my religion. So Lord... Please just leave. Dangerous. Listen, when God is revealing his goodness to you, when God is unfolding truth from his word that, that compels change, when, when God is leading you in a path 
When God's power is becoming evident in your life, and that may represent somehow you have to step into some some new experience that, yes, it's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to be unsettling, it could even be quite disturbing for you to walk in that direction or to embrace those truths, but the wisdom of God and faith would compel you to embrace God, that is not the time to send Jesus away. And remember this truth. Jesus does not stay where he is not wanted. In one sense, yes, the love of God will always appeal to the hearts of men and women. Even men and women who deny him, reject him, the love of God still appeals. That never changes. It can't. It's in the heart of God and he cannot not do that. He has to pour out his love because he loves his children. He's drawing them home. But, but even though that is true, when Jesus is rejected, he honors the request and he steps away. And that is spiritually dangerous and totally unwise. A wise individual welcomes Jesus in everywhere. Not everyone wanted Jesus to leave, though. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had become, been demon-possessed, I love that past tense, he had been demon-possessed, was imploring Jesus that he might go with him. Jesus, respectfully, they said, leave our region. He's leaving. He's disappointed as he starts to leave. The disciples prepare the boat. They're starting to go. But Akko did not want Jesus to leave. Akko didn't want to leave Jesus. Essentially, what he says is, Jesus, please don't leave me here. He had just began to know his Savior. And maybe he feared that the demons might return without the, without the protective presence of Jesus with him. They might come back. So please, Jesus, let me come with you. Let me leave this place of my torment, and I want to be with you. Essentially, he wanted to be a follower of Jesus, right? Jesus changed his life. Jesus, you saved me. Jesus, I want to follow you. Wouldn't you do the exact same? Doesn't what Jesus has done for your life compel you to want to be with him and to follow him? It should compel us to want to be with him and follow him. It's a reasonable response to the goodness and the grace of God. Over in the cities that dotted alongside that western shore of the Sea of Galilee... On the western side, the Jewish side, Jesus would heal someone and then he would say, go and don't tell anybody about it. There's too many messianic confusion. There's too many messianic political things going on over on the Jewish side of the sea. And so when he would heal someone, he goes, shh, don't, don't tell anyone. It's going to cause more trouble. It's not the right time. Silence, please. But not here on the Gentile western side of the sea. Bible says, and he did not let him go with him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Wow, Jesus didn't allow him to, to physically follow him, and yet he invited him to be a follower. 
With kindness and love, Jesus, he didn't let Akko get into the boat as they were leaving, but Jesus called him to follow him in spirit and truth. Not, not physical presence, proximity, but, but in message. He says, go home, Akko. Go to your family. Go to your friends. Go back to the people you know. Go to anyone who will listen and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Go tell your story. Tell them what I've done for your life. Tell them about this miracle of deliverance from evil. Tell them what you know about me. Akko, follow me. Be with me by telling your people about the mercy of God. Church family, your first and most powerful witness to those who don't know Jesus is not doctrine. It's not proof texts. It's what Jesus has done for you. That's your powerful testimony. Your first witness is your personal experience with Jesus. Akko, according to the text, obeyed Jesus' invitation without argument. He began to share his story with those living in the entire Decapolis region. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Akko had not been taught the scriptures concerning Jesus. He may not have even been aware that there was a Jewish scripture that foretold the identity of Jesus. He actually probably knew very little about Jesus, but Jesus called him just the same to a personal witness for him. He knew all that he needed to know to share Christ with others. He was to be a Christian witness, perhaps the first called witness to the Gentile world. It was a, a foreshadowing of things to come, that Jesus was not going to be confined to one people, one nation, but Jesus was to go to all the world. And this man, he was a living, breathing, unanswerable demonstration of what Christ can do in the life of someone who's broken in the captivity of sin. Akko didn't argue with Jesus. It didn't seem he hesitated at all. What Akko did was he went home. His parents, his siblings, his friends, his co-workers. He went home and into the entire region of Decapolis. He shared his story about how Jesus delivered him. Akko shared his story in his own world and in his own words. A world that didn't know Jesus. A world that didn't even really know the God of Scripture. And because of the reports of 2,000 lost swine that had circulated through the region, you know that story got around. When he showed up to tell the story, they knew this was a real event. Here is the man that story is about. And when he told them what the Lord done, they were amazed at his witness of how Jesus had set him free. He wanted to be with Jesus. The book, Desire of Ages, but it's couched in the language of Matthew's account where there were two men possessed and set free, where Matthew was focusing on two men, not just the one that Mark chose to focus on. The words read, in doing this work, they could receive a greater blessing than if, merely for benefit to themselves, they had remained in his presence. It is working to spread the good news of salvation that we are brought near to the Savior. Akko, who had been a host for the demons of darkness, was now this channel of divine light. The demons that once controlled his voice spoke rightly when they referred to Jesus as the Son of the Most High God, but they spoke those words with rebellion, disdain, and fear. But this man now went about the region, speaking in his own liberated voice, Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, and he spoke it with joy and power 
and conviction. Think of what Jesus has done for you. His mercies are new every day. Has Jesus made a difference in your life? Can you recognize that your life is better because you know Jesus? Can you see how he's delivered you from death to life? Does what God has done for you cause you to want to be his his follower? Has God blessed you in a way that makes you say, I just, I want to follow Jesus. I, I want to be with him. He has done so much for me. Has God delivered you from evil in ways that make you want to remain with Jesus? It's, it's kind of that question that compelled this man. Do you want to follow Jesus? If you want to follow Jesus, then Jesus says to you, then go to your people and tell them what I've done for you. Because in doing that work, you'll receive a greater blessing than if you physically remained with me. Because in the work of spreading the good news of God's mercy in your life, you will be brought near to the Savior. I want to finish with just a few more comments. Was Akko successful in his witness? Even though he seemingly was unprepared to be a mighty witness for Jesus, he was no Paul, he was no Peter. Did the Lord bless his witness? He was only armed with his own personal story of deliverance from evil and how it changed his life. As we lay out the timeline and the, and the movements of Jesus and his disciples, about nine months to a year later, Jesus and his disciples traveled down to that southeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee once more, and they made their way into the region known as Decapolis. And the Bible witnesses as to what happened when they arrived there. It says, departing from there, this is from Matthew, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. There, and large crowds came to him in this Gentile Greek pagan land. Large crowds came to him, bringing them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others as they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Because of this man's witness, a door had been opened to the gospel throughout that region. And when Jesus returned to Decapolis, the people flocked to him. And for three days, not merely the inhabitants of one town, but thousands from all that surrounding region heard the message of salvation. All because of one man sharing his story. This man whom we've called Akko today was the first seed of what in time became an abundant harvest. He was the first contact for Christ in this Greek world of Decapolis. He told his story of what Jesus did for him. We'll close with this. Christ always begins with someone. Perhaps you are that someone for someone else. Perhaps you are being called to be the first in your circle to tell someone about what Jesus can do. Our Father in heaven, 
take these words and bear fruit in our lives. You are powerful. You are loving. Lord, help us to know how to go into our world and somehow communicate, word, deed, action, whatever it is, somehow communicate your mercy and what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.